Hi, I'm Yushuan Su. And I'm Connor Campbell. You're listening to Into the Unknown. All right, welcome back to Into the Unknown. On this episode, it's not just the two of us, thank God. We have a guest, and a guest that we've wanted to get on for a long time. We are getting through them. I promise you, we're just not very good at organizing. So on today's episode, we have a very, very special guest, a man that I've known for, I want to say, around two years now. Um, and I don't even know whether I should introduce you as your as your your full name or whether I should introduce you as Action Man or Dr. Skinhead or Benjamin <laughs> Bonson. Um, but on today's episode, we have Benjamin Johnson, otherwise known as just Ben, basically. Um, or, or Coach Ben now, actually. I quite like that. That's a good one, which we're not going to allude to just yet, but we will in this episode. So um, I'm not going to tell you about Ben. I'm going to let Ben tell himself about Ben. So first question i have for you ben is if you were on a talk show which i guess you kind of are seeing this is the podcast and you were asked to describe who ben is where would you start so hello everyone um this is quite a difficult question for me because uh if anyone knows me then i'm definitely the type of person who would avoid going on a talk show <laughs> so i did think about this for a while and i couldn't really come up with anything so i decided i'm just going to improvise um so I don't know. I don't really have a, a specific picture of myself in my head. I'm, to me, I'm just a normal guy. Um, I guess I'd mostly describe myself by um, kind of my hobbies, what I do with my time, um, and um, I guess my relationships as well. So I'm, um, if anyone knows me, I'm a doctor. Um, I just started working this year um, as a foundation year one doctor. Um, and uh, I have a lot of hobbies, including uh, Olympic weightlifting, which is how I know Connor, um, photography, um, and a few other things as well. Um, and um, I live with my girlfriend Katie in London, and we've been um, living there for a few months now. Um, so that's just a, a bit of background, um, bit, of, bit of background of me. So I can attest to his uh, weightlifting prowess but also his photography because i have this i haven't yet hang it up but i'm going to be hanging this up on the wall so for those of you that do want prints then if it's all right with you i'll share your stuff in the description um so you can go check that out but it's phenomenal he takes pictures of loads of different types of architecture it's really cool well, thank um, you you're welcome sir so i guess my first question which kind of leads on to that you mentioned that you're a doctor one question that I'm always curious about in terms of people's careers is what if there was as a single decision or what led you into wanting to be a doctor? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, and I think, I don't know about other, other people's jobs, but I think it's one, whenever you tell someone that you're a doctor or you do study medicine, the first question is, oh, why did you want to do that? Um, hmm. And it's not really something that I've been able to pin down, even though I've been asked it probably about 50 times um, in the past few years. Um, and I think it changes over time as well. Um, even if you think it may have been for one reason, you realize it might have been for another. Um, and for me, 
it wasn't really like a conscious decision to be honest it, it was just kind of something that i decided to do over time and and maybe um not well let me rephrase that not necessarily for the reasons that um everyone thinks so like of course um when you're thinking about doing medicine um the, the cliche is like, i want to help people which yeah is part mm -hmm. of the is part of the is part of the um, reason why you want to do it, and and that still is a reason for me today. Um, but there are plenty of ways that you can help people with the work. So it, it I feel like it needs to be more specific for medicine. Um, in my case, anyway, and I think one of the things that I found interesting about it was just the complexity of it. is It's obviously a big challenge. There's a lot to learn, um, and I think one one of the things about me is that I just love learning new things and with medicine you're always learning there's always things to learn obviously there's upsides and downsides to that you can sometimes well quite frequently feel overwhelmed by things you don't know um, mm. but you also get the satisfaction of learning things um, probably for the rest of your life if you stick with it um, so that's one of the one of the big reasons i think um, apart from obviously being more scientifically orientated as a kid and during school and all that kind of thing you kind of get pushed in that direction by like teachers uh, friends uh, funnily enough even though my dad's a doctor as well my parents didn't at all push me towards medicine um, which was quite nice i kind of came to, to that uh, kind of independent of them um and i think let me go now if i'm going on too long by the way no go for it you talk this is all about you now bro this is your podcast yeah, and I think there's obviously the the kind of um, what's the word? What's the word where you want to help people? Like, um, well, there could be lots of words, but I guess what do you call Yushuan's the Theosaurus. The what? Sorry, I'm the only, I'm the only foreign guy here. <laughs> what do you call rich people yeah. who like want to help? Who like give money? Philanthropist. Yeah, there's obviously kind of that aspect to it of like wanting to make a difference in the world and i think as a single person being a doctor is a good way where you can make where you can make a difference to quite a lot of people's lives even if it's small things um but just the fact that you come into contact with so many different people um over a fairly short period of time um is is um quite profound in some ways so some like some days i'll, I'll probably see like uh 30 40 different patients and then you put the families on top of that and the way you interact with people and the way you go about um dealing with them even if you're not making the big decisions obviously i'm i'm in, in my first year as a doctor so i'm not doing anything drastic but simple things like the way you communicate with people or kind of address their concerns or or kind of escalate things um, can make a huge difference to people's lives and their experience um when they're in hospital yeah. And that's something that I've only really come to realize uh, as I started working. So it took me six years to kind of get to that point and realize how that feels. Um, and I don't think you really can understand that until you start work. Um, so, But that is definitely a big reason that I enjoy what I do for the most part. Um, yeah, I'm going to stop there. Yeah, I guess it's also like... You know, it, I guess it's the same with a lot of professions where, you know, as you go through that profession, the experience means that you learn completely different things that you might not have thought about uh, as 
as you were just learning to be a doctor rather than actually being a doctor or being a coach or whatever it might be. Um, that's a really interesting point that you made because I think I've heard a lot of people when I ask them, why did you want to be a doctor? You know, they give the traditional sense of, I just want to help people. And, you know, obviously you mentioned that as well. Um, I think it's interesting that you kind of alluded to that, but then you also were like, it's just, it's not just that I wanted to help people. I think, yeah, I, th I think I, I, I didn't realize, I guess, how much being a doctor isn't just about having the knowledge or the expertise. It's also you're having to deal with 30, 40 patients in a day and their families. And if you're not a people person, it's probably the hardest. It's probably one of the hardest jobs in the world, you know. Uh, yeah. I also, do you know what? Like, I also love when you said that. Um, it wasn't sort of a conscious decision and you kind of stumbled into medicine as if many people just accidentally <laughs> become doctors and engineers because we bring bright cookie no i mean i i don't want it to sound arrogant because i know it can that sentence kind of can do but i think for me i was i was going to work hard regardless like i didn't necessarily know what i was going to do Mm -hmm. um, but I knew that I was going to work hard anyway to set me up the best I could. And I, I'm obviously very privileged to be able to have a family and a home and parents who allowed me to focus on that rather than thinking about other things. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm, I think the the longer I'm alive, the more I'm very aware of that, that privilege. Um, just because obviously the more people you come into contact with, you see some people's situations and not that they're not, they're not ideal. Um, and they probably, they could be in exactly the same position that you were if, if they were put in your shoes, but they weren't. Um, and that's, I think that's something that I'm very grateful for, um, after the fact. Yeah, that's very true. I guess it's very humbling, isn't it? Mm. You know? Um, yeah. All right, so you also alluded to that you are, you know, now a weightlifter. You've now been weightlifting for about 18 months, maybe? Yeah, two months around Christmas. Two years about around Christmas, I think. Is that all? Yeah. You're, you're strong. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's funny is everyone at JDI knows Ben through my Instagram. <laughs> I know Ben through your Instagram. Well, you've also you've also met him in person. Yeah, yeah, but <laughs> I've seen him way before that. Yeah, the same as the same as Kerry, the same as Manaz. They're like, you know that girl pomegranate, and I'm like, her name's Manaz, but yeah. And then like, you know, the same with Ben. Yeah, it's, you know, um, you know that girl. Hey, it's Kerry. Hey, it's Kerry. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um. um so yeah, you've been weightlifting now for for two years, which, to be honest, is not actually that long of a time at all. To to be fair, if you compare it to you know, I've been weightlifting eight years. This year will have been eight years on my thirtieth birthday. I started when I was twenty two exactly. Um, in your two years of weightlifting, and I would be interested to see if this changes in the future. What is the single most important thing that weightlifting has taught you? And it doesn't have to be about weightlifting. I mean, just as a person or, you know, in life in general. Yeah, this is a, a really good question, I think, because it, it opens up to a lot of things. And I think weightlifting as a sport, because it's, it's quite unique in a sense, um, because it's, 
it's not just like oh you need to you're going to run and you're just going to keep running and you you even when you're tired you have to keep running it's more of like a, a kind of acute focus on it for like two three seconds during the lift um or in a competition obviously a bit longer um and it's obviously so technically different to many things that people do obviously there are other sports which are i'm sure technically more difficult um but for me that was very new coming from a background of like um, endurance sports like running cycling swimming that kind of thing and boxing um and i was having to think about this question earlier because i thought i found it quite difficult but i think it, it's taught me patience in a different sense than i had known before kind of a, a longer term sense um in terms of sport um I think with kind of academic stuff, it's it's a bit easier to to kind of feel like you're investing into the future when you're studying that kind of thing. And I think it's the same for weightlifting for me. Is that I've never had a never taken part in a sport where you can have such awful days on one day and like actually make you feel like you want to quit the sport. And then in a week or so, you'll have a really great day. And there's obviously days in between. And I think it's taught me not to hang on to those single moments where you feel awful about your sport and your performance. Um, Cause there's days when you're tired and there's other things going on in your life. Um, and even though if you do your very best at training, you're still going to be rubbish. Um, and that's just the way it is. And I think learning to kind of let go of those things and accept it a bit more and just move on and carry on and keeping the discipline and the consistency um, yeah, it's taught me to be very patient in that sense and kind of look forward or kind of look at an overall picture rather than kind of trying to focus in on things all the time. Um, and obviously that carries over to real life as well with, with many things I think you could compare it to. Um, but I think that's one of the main things. Yeah, I love that because not only have you just said basically what all of us are thinking, in, in real life is that we can be so hyper-focused on a certain issue where it might change, like our emotion, and I'm not just talking about weightlifting, I'm talking about in general, our emotion or like how tired we are or how kind of motivated we are to go to work and whatever, uh, or even motivated to do anything, to be honest with you, even just get out of bed. And like it, it, it wanes, doesn't it? Like one week you might be super motivated and super disciplined to just do everything you can during that week and tick off everything in your to-do list. And then other weeks or other days you're like, just can't even be bothered to make your own bed. Sorry, you run. <laughs> I didn't mean to. I, I actually wasn't wow. planning on, on going that way, but I just. Wow. <laughs> Little do you know that is actually most days. <laughs> yeah, but that's okay, you know. Because he has other things, he has other things to 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 keep himself focused. But then I guess the on the other side of it, like I guess that teaches you that if you zoom out a little bit, it all things don't necessarily seem as bad as they might appear at first. Um, I like that answer a lot. I think that's that's an answer that I wouldn't expect someone of two years who's done weightlifting to have. To be honest with you which I think is a testament to you and your thought process in weightlifting and and also that you are playing a long game. You know, you're not playing a, a two-year sport game. You're playing, hopefully, 10 years into the future, you know, because it's it's it can be very rewarding. And it has been so far, right? Yeah, for um, sure. 
really interesting as well that I just thought of. And I know that we've got a guest on the podcast, but you also know that I like talking about myself. And it's, um, <laughs> well, well, I find it really like there's actually that similarity that I've never noticed between weightlifting and, you know, what I do as well in the, you know, when you're weightlifting and you're competing, you're on the platform and you've got one lift. Oh, okay. I, I get you've got six lifts, but mm. as in each time you've got one, one yeah, lift, yeah. like one chance to perform the lift um regardless of all the hours and days and weeks and months spent training before that and it's like it's the same with what we do like we i mean every day we're on the horse for like six seven hours not just the mm. one horse but um and then you go in the ring and you're it's done in a minute and a half you know and it's, it has to all boil down to that and it you, you don't see the progression necessarily it's very mm. hard, you know sometimes you think you're going well and you're prepared and then you go in and it goes to shit and you're like okay actually i'm not good but whereas if you look at the big picture and you kind of go through the progression of each time you're there for a minute or each time you're there on the platform over the years then that gives a little bit of a different picture yeah i agree yeah. um and obviously it goes up and down but generally if you're consistent the trend will go up over time um and i think that pays off i mean i'm like you're saying i'm still a newbie really i've only done five or six competitions um maybe not even maybe five um and there's so there's still a lot to learn there's still a lot to see from that i think that's the main thing as well in like training is training you can somewhat influence whereas competition it's entirely out of your hands the reality is you know you can't affect how you feel on the day you can't affect what the crowd will be like you can't affect the judges or the timings or how many people are in your group you know like there's so many other factors that have an influence which is why i always say and you've started saying it to yourself i'm just going to go and have fun you know because like if you place those expectations so high on yourself in a competition where you only have six attempts to do your best it's it almost seems like overwhelming whereas with training like you can push yourself as hard as you want and there's really no inherent risk you know outside of the obvious of maybe injuring yourself or whatever it might be but that's very minimal if you actually know what you're doing and you're sensible um this is, so that's a really interesting point actually um on that point so obviously just asked you and we have so we we basically we opened this up to the floor because we thought it would be an interesting thing to get our listeners involved um rather than us just grilling you with interview questions so we can you know get get the most out of you so we actually had quite a lot of questions um some of them were quite similar um so i've tried to like structure them in a way that they make sense so we have like kind of i guess three categories so seeing as we're on weightlifting, let's uh, dig into a little bit more weightlifting, if that's all right. Of course. So the first question, which I guess follows on from the question that we just that I just asked you, uh, is this is quite a funny one. How the fuck do you get stronger whilst being a doctor? <laughs> <laughs> Well, first of all, I have to give credit to a few people other than myself. Uh, one being um, yourself for the excellent coaching and being flexible um, with my kind of 
long days as it is and mm. help kind of be efficient with the training and fit what needs to be fit into a, a probably less not optimal period of time um which definitely makes a big difference um and the second is katie my girlfriend who i live with um i honestly probably wouldn't be able to do it without her because she there's always food on the table when she's home and it's it's amazing when i get home and there's food a good meal there for me to eat rather than just something that i whip up quickly uh, and i think i'm very lucky to have, be able to have that kind of um there for me as well um the third is i kind of um i guess the next thing is I don't I don't know if this is healthy or not, but I don't really give myself a choice. Like I am mm. trained. I don't have a choice, like in my head. Um and I think that's it's obviously for a reason, it's because I love it. That's why I do it. But on the days where I don't want to do it, there's still no choice in my head um of whether I go or not. Obviously if something awful was to happen, I wouldn't go to training. But when you're just tired <laughs> from work or like you just can't be asked and you want to go home. Like, I just do it anyway. Um, and I, I, I don't think there's really a specific trick to it. I think it's just how I'm wired. <laughs> and yeah. I just and, and it's because I it's because I love it. Like I said earlier, like I I've done a lot of sports and I've always switched after like one or two years. Just been going between different sports, like running, cycling, rowing, like climbing. Mm. I've never really stuck to anything properly. Um, and weightlifting is the first one that's kind of made me want to kind of stick with it for the the long term. Um, and it's a balance of all that. Like, yeah, I could probably do more. I could probably sleep better. Um, and I could probably, like, eat better at work or whatever. But I feel like for for how busy I am, I feel like it, I'm doing all right at the moment. And, that, yeah, there'll probably be times where I, I, I slip out of it for a bit or whatever with work or um but I, I just do my best really and just i think having a, a, a positive attitude as well helps um because it just makes everything not seem as bad yeah absolutely two points i want to pick out there first one is to kind of pick out you mentioning that you don't give yourself a choice and i think that's a really interesting one because i feel like i'm very similar in that respect which is probably why we like work well together um is that i love weightlifting so much not even to the point where i obviously I, we all care about how much we lift like inherently as humans like we're gonna need to care you know because progressively we wouldn't be where we are as humans if we didn't have that kind of egotistical like i'm gonna be better right and well regardless of whether that's better than someone else or better than yourself like you know it's still that inherent like burning desire to be the best um the top of the food chain but also i think interestingly saying that you don't have a choice is is an interesting one because i think a lot of people might say that that would be unhealthy whereas for a lot of us like especially me i would a hundred percent agree with you that i i I don't think it's necessarily an unhealthy trait to have, to be honest with you, because as you get older, you have to realize that there's shit that you don't want to do, but you still have to do it. Right. Like, and right now you can make that choice 
because you don't have a family, you don't have a mortgage, you know, you don't have other things that you really have to worry about as much. But as you get older, you're going to have to make those decisions, not just for yourself, but for other people. Being a doctor, being a, a father, if, if you're going to want kids, you know, whatever, like you will have to make those decisions. And I know that that might be taking a bit of a leap, but I, I don't know if it is because I tell myself this all the time is like, if I can tell myself that I'm going to train when I'm tired and when I don't want to train, I'm teaching myself discipline that I'm going to teach my kids in the future, which I think is super, a, such a valuable personality trait to have is it doesn't matter if you're good or if you're shit, you just have to do it and turn up and you'll eventually get somewhere, <laughs> you know? Um, so I think that's a really, really good, uh, for me, that's the biggest, best point you made um, out of that. And I would agree that if it weren't for Katie and your little training fam, <laughs> it, it would make it a shitload harder to train because weightlifting yeah. is a very lonely sport. <laughs> I, I also have to thank obviously Manaz and all the training gang because that makes training so much better. And I, I you could go in, but you could go on for a very long time about the community that we have. And I think I don't know if it spans through all of weightlifting because obviously we only have our well, I only have like our little circle that we know, but it definitely seems to be a bit more of a kind of trend in weightlifting that you have your little groups and you have your like like your your gym groups and you have your uni groups and then you have like the other unis and then you meet them all at competitions and everyone kind of gets to know each other and it's it's quite a small world um which i haven't really like i don't know that many people i just know the people at, at queen mary and you and central london and a couple of others but it just makes training so much uh, better when when there's other people there as well yeah I think that's why CrossFit has thrived so much is I've spoken about this to a friend this morning who used to do CrossFit, who's now switched to uh, weightlifting with me. And um, he was saying, I think the best thing about CrossFit is that it's like a shared suffering that you all are doing the same thing at the same time. Uh, and I think that's why, you know, Navy SEAL training and Marines and stuff like that, you know, they're all suffering together and you come out on the other side regardless of how much you lift or how well you did like you still did it and got through it so i think that's that's a really really important thing um all right on that topic uh <laughs> i don't know if this is a joke or not but one question that was asked kind of elaborates on this a little bit one of the one of your friends who you train with i'm not going to name names one of your friends that you train with um otherwise known as Char, Char Sui, whatever. Is that his name? Char Sui? Is that how you say it? Isn't that food? You're not, Char, you're not just saying you're not naming names. Char, yeah, but come on, it's, it's an Instagram <laughs> name. It's an Instagram name. Um, what's your stack, Ben? What's the secret? <laughs> what do you mean? I don't understand that. <laughs> so I asked, I asked and uh, apparently what's your stack is uh, what drugs are you taking? Oh, <laughs> yeah, I just deny but, that in a very clever way. Yeah, yeah, just deny that. What, what's that? What are you talking about? I'm not sure what that is. Testosterone, mm -hmm. no. Um, but on that topic, someone did ask you for you, the two parter, how important has sleep and nutrition been in your progress? And also, what sort of thing you obviously alluded to, you know, Katie making meals for you, and I've seen some of the food that you guys put out, it looks incredible. But in terms of your nutrition, 
what other stuff are you doing you know not just the food but what sort of supplements do you take um so obviously i think sleep is probably the most neglected thing that people do because it doesn't feel like it makes a huge difference but it really does um especially over a longer period of time there's like a thousand papers written on it and whatnot but i think it's because because you're not physically doing anything when you sleep people neglect it a bit more um mm. and i'm very guilty of that like i when i get home from work and then obviously go straight from work to the gym and then when i get home i just want to chill and like sit down and like um, eat and watch some watch some youtube and just chill and just chat to katie and and then i don't really want to go to sleep but if i'm going to get up early the next day i need to go at some point mm. um so that's something i'm definitely struggling with um but in terms of so like supplements i just take creatine and protein powder that's it i think they're the two well aside from obviously pets sure. Sure. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> aside from PEDs, they're, they're the most um, well-researched and well-proven supplements. Um, and with food as well, like I don't really like um, control it that much. Kind of just eat what I want, and we, mm. we try and have like balanced meals, like meat, carbs, veg, just balance it out every time. Like not worrying too much about calories or like I know it's there's like like not cooking with oils and stuff like that. we don't really bother with that um it mm. probably bite me when i'm 60 but like i feel like food is one of the things that you just have to enjoy um, and if you if you don't enjoy your food then you're missing out on it it's such a yeah. big thing well the, the other thing as well which really grinds my gears is that like people who would say that to you say oh you shouldn't use those kind of oils will also eat mcdonald's three times a week <laughs> and you're just like you're just like okay but yeah you try and explain it to them that actually everything in moderation is not necessarily a bad thing like this whole this whole thing about brutalizing sugar and saying that sugar is crack like mm. i i fucking love sugar and i know that it's crack like it, it is cr like you know but at the same time in moderation i know that if i eat 10 cookies instead of eating you know a couple chicken breasts and some rice and whatever then yes, it's not going to be great for me. But mm. I guess those extreme, those extreme views, they they use those because either fear mongering or because they need people to understand. Like you can't just eat sugar. Like it's yeah. it's it's not that good for you. Yeah, and I think we take it for granted sometimes that we know those kind of things. Mm. Um, I will say that we don't really have any kind of fast food apart from like, um, or like like mcdonald's those kind of things and I, I i think having not had them for so long it makes you realize how bad they are and like you lose your appetite for it when you don't have it for a while um i think that's that's probably one of the things i would stand by or just pieces of advice is that like if you don't if you do have it it makes you want it more those kind of really processed fast food stuff and when we do get takeaway or whatever we try and get from a restaurant or like um, like better quality things rather than just like getting Mackey's or KFC or whatever. Um, so that, I guess that's a, an easy piece of advice. But yeah, there's, there's not nothing special behind it really. I think that's nice though, isn't it? Because then you, you mentioned about the supplements, just quickly going back to that backtracking about, you know, just taking creatine and, and protein. And I think it's very difficult to fall into this trap because ultimately the supplements industry is essentially just a massive 
it's just sales like a lot of the stuff probably doesn't work as well as they say it does and i'm sure it does something but like if if it's almost like flipped it on its head at the moment where people think that they need to have all of these different things but what they actually need is they need to eat the stuff that they're taking the supplements for mm. um you know aside from if they have you know celiac or or gluten intolerance or whatever it might be where it prohibits them from eating certain foods then obviously that's an entirely different case and i'm not a dietitian but i would much rather eat good food where i'm getting vitamins and minerals and you know most of my protein from actual food that tastes nice not just synthetic protein that's well engineered from cheese curds and dried and yeah yeah but you you see those people right who will have like a box with all these different compartments of all the multivitamins and the supplements and then have their protein powder and this guy's just like having dominoes and getting like four hours <laughs> of sleep a night like you yeah. really think like all that that all of that all those pills are going to make a difference yeah do you know what i read i read a really interesting book about that and a lot of it is genetics like mm. there was there was a study and i think it was one person who ate pizza for like whole year and nothing else and they're actually fine at the end of it um something along those lines but then there's people who will obviously eat quite healthy and still have problems so yeah. it's a lot of it is to do with your genetics and your gut biome and interesting things like that but that's a whole other thing um i think obviously the best thing you can do is just eat a healthy balanced diet find something that works for you don't go to any extremes because sometimes i guess there's some evidence behind them like fasting and stuff like that but if if it feels extreme, then it's probably not not going to work yeah. out. Well. That's a very good a bit a bit of advice. Is if it feels extreme, that's a good way to end that. If it feels extreme, then it's probably not very sustainable. But it's the same with training, isn't it? Yeah. You know, if it feels like you're literally you're dying after every session, and I know Manaz would agree with this because she probably is dying after every session. But I know that there's there's a little bit of of drama in there she she likes to play it play it up a little bit room, yeah. <laughs> all right we have a couple of questions from uh from the same person actually the first one is uh i guess it's, it's this is a, a two-parter how do you manage to do so well in so many things well that is this is a very nice question how do you manage to do so well in so many things all at once e.g being a doctor weightlifting coaching photography yeah um i don't know i think it's it's not necessarily an inherent doing being able to do things well i think it's just the enjoyment that i get from learning new things and i've find a lot of satisfaction in like passing those things on to other people as well and i guess that's where kind of um i've kind of dabbled in coaching a little bit obviously i didn't really decide to do it but um i felt that i've learned how to do weightlift or i'm learning how to weightlift i feel like i have a an okay knowledge base now about what's supposed to happen what's not supposed to happen um and i feel like i can help my friends with this so like i've been training with Manaz and katie and Khalees and like just saying little things here and there and just seeing how how it helps and then i feel like 
it's actually um they've told me that it's actually been very helpful so that's that's kind of like a different a different thing so i kind of got into that by, by accident really um but i think it's like i was saying it's just the the enjoyment that i get from learning new things and and kind of that drives me more than just being good at things for the sake of it um but i think that um the ones that I keep doing, like weightlifting and obviously do, doing medicine, that kind of thing, it shows which ones. Because you can learn plenty of new things, but the ones you stick with um, are the ones that matter. And these ones that I've I've been doing for a long time now, like medicine, photography, weightlifting, I think these are the, the ones that kind of um, mean the most to me and kind of are for me in that sense. Um, and it's just through exploring lots of different things and and just having an enjoyment for learning really yeah i mean i guess you probably wouldn't be a doctor if you didn't enjoy learning it would be a far more difficult profession if you didn't actually enjoy reading and studying for six years um <laughs> you wouldn't be there you wouldn't have made it through the six years but also do you know what i love like a lot of this is proof as well and resonates a lot with Cotton, what we were talking about in the last episode of how a lot of it and a lot of the process it's just not it's not sexy like there's no magic to it it's yeah. simple like it you know yeah and um, in a way and you, you have a system that works for you and you work hard and and the, the, it's there yeah and i think it's yeah. just a solid foundation isn't it like and i know i've mentioned it before but it's a very privileged position to be able to kind of think oh i think i would enjoy that i'm going to try it and yeah. then being able to fork out a bit of cash to be able to start doing something um, without worrying too much about anything else um, and i think that's really important to recognize as well um, but that's another thing and one, one thing i really enjoyed about weightlifting when i started it was that you don't really need anything you need a gym membership mm. some trainers and you can kind of get going from there um, yeah which I, I thought was really nice as well, because in a sense, you I've met loads of different people through it, like people I wouldn't normally come into contact with, but that's because, like, whether it's because you can't afford it or you just don't want to, like, fork out that much money for something new, like, different loads of different people will come and try it. Um, and I think that's a really cool thing about weightlifting, especially coming from stuff like cycling, where your bike will cost anywhere like above 10 grand or something if you if you want to get like really good um and the people in that community are, are obviously very different to the people who do weightlifting um, and that's a really nice thing that i recognize as well yeah yeah for sure i think that's that's a really cool thing we actually spoke about this in a podcast ages ago was that there's such a low barrier to entry yeah that's you know, to initiate <laughs> yeah to, yeah to initially start whereas something like equestrian or cycling well first of all you know you have to actually be able to get onto a horse i'm talking about competitive equestrian not just talking about like sitting on a horse and going around in a circle like a donkey show like you know pretty much what we do <laughs> it's the same thing <laughs> uh, um you know but like you also have to have the horse the training whatever but I mean, now I, I wouldn't agree with you that I spent so much fucking money on weightlifting, like new <laughs> leggings or like new t-shirts or whatever it is. But hey, that's, that is what it is. Um, 
Yeah, uh, that's an interesting thing. I want to touch on the coaching, seeing as we obviously are, are kind of already on that side, the question. Kind of, you, you kind of alluded to it, but what made you decide that you wanted to start coaching and so, sort of what do you foresee in your future with that? Um, yeah, so this is quite exciting for me, I think. Um, so like I mentioned earlier, it kind of just happened by accident. Like I would just be training with my friends and just kind of giving a few tips here or there. And I just find it really rewarding watching like watching people make those changes. And then if it works and like you see their face light up, like, oh, that was good. I'm not saying that I know everything, everything. Obviously, I don't. I've only been waiting for less than two years. But just small things. And it started by just passing along what you'd say to me. <laughs> and then being able to recognize those things in other people and just saying exactly the same thing and then helping people to kind of just um yeah like make small changes that make a big difference for them and it's just i find a lot of like i was saying i find a lot of enjoyment in the enjoyment that people get from improving um and that's kind of why i enjoy it um in terms of the future I don't know what am I what I'm allowed to say, <laughs> but obviously I'm doing my, doing my qualifications at the moment, and then just waiting for them to get back to me, and then hopefully looking to start with with you at some point in the future. So I'm very excited for that. Um, I think it will. Wow, this is news. Yeah, yeah. I think it will bring a. Yeah, I'm, I'm really I'm really looking forward to it actually. Um, it, it's it's obviously what I do for my day job is very different to that in some ways. But it's also similar. It's kind of like communi communication, like knowledge and kind of people skills at the same time. But it's just a different topic. Um, mm. And I think it will it'll be a good variety for me. Um, and obviously, I find a lot of enjoyment and satisfaction in it. So I'm, I'm very looking forward to it. Yeah, it's a, it's a good challenge, I think, because, you know, obviously having uh, George on the team, who's also weightlifting and I started coaching him and then, you know, he now is, is a coach. He's been with us for like a year. And then the same with you, like I started coaching you. And I think it's really nice to see like that evolution from athlete into coach because you just get so like, it just shows how interested you are in the sport and, and you wanting to help people and give back to the sport that has quite obviously given you so much, you know, friends and discipline and, and whatever else like learning you know a new skill um a question that that actually wasn't asked which i'm curious about which i would i was asked in person by someone yesterday i was speaking to another coach at the gym that i work at over here and he asked me he was like why do you bring on more weightlifting coaches when having more weightlifting coaches on your team could make the pool of athletes that you coach specifically diminish and i'm like it's weird because I'd never thought of it like that. And I don't think that that's weirdly for me, that's not really the, the route that I would have gone down. I think it's an interesting thing because I see it more as a collaboration. Like if I didn't have you at Queen Mary's basically making my job easier, people probably would have left and they would have, you know, probably either quit or they would have gone somewhere else. So for me, my answer was like, well, I'm bringing him on because one, he's fucking great. Two, we get on really well. Two, I know three, he's going to do a great job. And four, we collaborate, we work together. Like 
he's going to have his own athletes that he might have problems with. He knows how I work. And ultimately, if athletes that I'm coaching want to go to him, then I've done a good job because I've given him everything that I can. Why is that a problem? You know, that's a great thing to have. So I want to hear your perspective because, you know, I'm not sure if you've given much thought to this, but like that's that's kind of the idea, right? Is like you start off as a teacher. I'm teaching you how to do all these different things. Then you're coming to me as a student asking me questions. And then now it's kind of like a mentor thing. Like you come to me with different things. I speak to you about different things. It's like a collaborative effort rather than a, you know, I'm bringing him on. He's going to take athletes. That's not really the, it's not really the way that you should look at things. No, I think, I I think there's a lot of that in kind of sports coaching, isn't there? Like being very protective over your athletes and worried Mm -hmm. about, people being stolen or whatever. But there's a couple of things to think about is that if someone is trying to steal an athlete, they're probably not someone you'd want to be working with or close with anyway. And if, if one of your athletes is just going to um, leave, then that's on them. And in some ways, like I've never, I've never even thought about like, I, I because I, I find you a very good coach. I would never consider someone leaving you to come to me because I'm just starting out. And I think as it is, like, I know you're very busy with your clients anyway. Mm. So I think I'm I'm just going to reach people that I'm in close contact with here that you wouldn't necessarily be able to reach anyway unless I was going to point them in your direction. Um, so, I, I, yeah, I'd never really thought about that either. I think in this, no. in a lot of, professional is like it's it's seen as like dog eat dog like i've Mm. got whatever i can to make sure i'm doing like making the most money or being but i feel like if you do right by people it comes around back to you um whether that being like us working together will grow the business as a whole and then that makes us more successful together makes you more successful like it it widens your reach because obviously you're not here at the moment so Mm -hmm. It's a good question. I hadn't really thought about it, but that's the way I see it is that like, I'm very grateful to you for like considering me for this. Um, So I feel like that's, that's a good thing that you've done and that will, will come back around to you in a positive way. I think. I mean, when we spoke about it, like, you know, because I'd been thinking about it for quite a while, to be honest with you. (laughs) And when, when we spoke about it, I was really excited because, you know, it's genuinely so lovely to see people that are so interested in a sport that I've done for eight years and coached for six years, seven years. And they go from being an athlete to wanting to be a coach. Like, if anything, that's an inspiration for me because it's like, shit, like, you know, I don't want to big myself up, but like we've done a good job to work together that you want to carry on that legacy. Like that's, it's an amazing thing to see. It's like, it, it genuinely fills me with so much happiness. And I don't know whether that's the maybe the, the personality that I have or the relationship that you and I have, but isn't that kind of the point that like you want your athletes to mature to the point where they are able to make their own decisions and maybe take on clients or whatever they want to do you know set up another business or like we don't i don't just coach you in weightlifting you know like yes i'm your weightlifting coach but it's the same with you shan like i started off with you shan just coaching him he became my best friend you know like i started off coaching you two years ago you're now one of one of my closest friends like 
it's this evol evolution of having that relationship and i think you put it right that if you do right by people they'll do right by you and you mentioned you know if we bring you on which we are and we give you athletes or you go and find athletes that also makes the business look fucking great because we've got another coach who knows his shit like that's a great thing to have in the sport of weightlifting you know and seeing where i was when i met yushuan at kings to where i am now i'm sure that he probably you know would agree with me i'm my personality hasn't changed but i'm so much better off for where i was to where i am now and i want to give other people that opportunity because it's so fulfilling i just think if there were more people like you guys in the industry and in just sport coaching industries in general because I agree with you 100%, Ben, that it's not just weightlifting. Like, definitely, I see it in my sport and, and in a lot of other sports as well, where I suppose you're just working with a lot of egos and a lot of, mm. I don't know if selfishness is the right word, but it's like short sightedness of not being mm. able to see the bigger picture of like, if we all collaborate, there is opportunity here for growth and opportunity for development for everyone. Um, whereas if we're just, protecting our own and and kind of yeah just trying to hoard hoard the knowledge and hoard the people then actually no one benefits fully from it mm. so yeah no, i really yeah. appreciate what you guys are are doing and talking about and not even yourself like if you gatekeep knowledge and experience you're also gatekeeping yourself because you can't share that with anyone else yeah. so what's what's the point in having the knowledge in the first place mm. yeah. it's literally I useless just bring it to your grave <laughs> yeah yeah anyway um but yes uh if you guys didn't know uh ben will be joining our team soon um News which, is I'm out. Very, <laughs> which i'm very excited about but i'm sure they would have found out in a, in a month or two yeah. all right uh you kind of alluded to this or we've both alluded to this i guess um a couple of questions ago but i want to delve into it a little bit more um how do you deal with bad periods of training mentally physically mm, i think um this has changed over time obviously when you're starting out in a sport you learn a lot over the first couple of years it's probably the same for a lot of sports like you can have very bad periods of time i think i had about six months probably mm not maybe those fucking months. jerks yeah about three ah. four months like over christmas last year and like the start of last year where i just just couldn't figure things out and mm. that's not a bad reflection on anyone not a bad reflection on me not a bad reflection on you like that's just the way it is sometimes um because the thing is in sport there's you both know this there's obviously a million combinations of things that can occur to make something happen so like your mindset, your energy levels, your nutrition, and then there's like your coaching program, your coach, your cues, your internal cues that you have for yourself, like your experience, all these things come together um, to kind of influence how your session is or how your training cycle is. And I think nowadays I'm more inclined to look at it from that point of view, like what can I control now or consistently in my day-to-day -to, -day to try and make my training better in that sense and then that might be like um 
so having a think like not just when you're in the gym but when you're sitting at home like if you're still a bit sad about it or you're a bit annoyed that you had a bad session like what can i try differently what, what small things can i try to try and uh, make it a little bit better or whether that's training cues or like getting to sleep earlier or like actually asking your coach questions like specific questions or asking for specific things in your program or like because you know yourself at the end of the day your coach doesn't know everything and mm -hmm. you will know things about yourself that your coach doesn't know because they're not you and they're not with you all the time um so aside from that i think it's also important to ref like we, what we were saying earlier is to try it's easier said than done but try and not let it pull you down too much and like pull you in too much and like zooming out and thinking about the bigger picture and realizing that it's not forever and it's going to come back up um eventually um, if you keep sticking at it yeah yeah love that i don't even want to add anything more to that i want to move straight to the next one because that, <laughs> that was that was a great that was great great well answered on the topic of that in your opinion what is the most important trait to have as an athlete in weightlifting physically or you know psychologically it or i guess what what yeah your glutes <laughs> well, we all know he's got very strong powerful <laughs> glutes um, oh. but, um yeah what what's what's one trait that for you is the most important thing in this sport do you mean for me personally or if i was going to build a perfect weightlifter yeah let's go with that that sounds like a cool <laughs> one like a little test tube experiment yeah test tube baby um obviously the optimal physical kind of parameters for a weightlifter are someone who's tends to be a bit shorter shorter quads longer spine um shorter mm -hmm. femurs longer spine um which is kind of the typical athlete that you see on in a lot of the competitions obviously there are a lot of exceptions to that rule um and I, but i think that's been like that's been studied a lot like the, the what the best mechanics for physical mechanics for a weightlifter are um, and, and there's a lot a lot more that i don't know about that um i think for like a psychological from a psychological point of view i think it's it's a balance between like between perfectionism and not caring about perfection and between like working as hard as you can and knowing when to back off and i think the perfectionism obviously for weightlifting as a sport is very technical so you need you want you want it to be as perfect as possible but on the flip side of that if you get dragged down every time it's not exactly perfect some days you're going to have to say like i'm just going to do it i don't care if it looks perfect or not i'm just going to get it done and you need to have that kind of dog in you that's just going to work regardless of that and the same with the work ethic i think yeah there's some days you're going to have to like smash your head into the wall to get your session finished and there's some days where you need to know that that's not the right time to do that and you need to rest you need to take the volume down you need to take the intensity down or else you're going to feel even worse for the next session or the next week and so i think it's there's obviously a lot of other factors as well but i think they're the main two things that i would say yeah it's very much a trigger question because obviously there's not one perfect characteristic that makes a weightlifter yeah you know um i would agree with you one thing that i've been trying to get a lot of you guys to do which in my opinion is one of the most important things but probably undervalued is build self-belief 
um you know among other things some people have lots of self-belief maybe wait maybe too much um <laughs> but yeah so i would i would agree with that it's it's very difficult to narrow it down okay we've got a few more questions are you good for time yeah let me just get a drink all right um i, I want actually we've got quite a few i've got two and then there's a few more on, um here's one question super easy to 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 answer why are you so cute <laughs> you know hazard a guess at who asked that one you have to ask her okay i'll i'll ask her yeah um okay and uh in reference to the person is she the best person ever that's another uh, yeah. question absolutely okay perfect lovely stuff all right i will ask her why you're so cute i mean i i know the answer but uh you know we can save that for off air um should i be, what is, should I be leaving the room right now yeah you can yeah you can leave sorry you i actually forgot you were here <laughs> i'm just joking <laughs> um what is something or i guess yeah what what advice would you give to your younger self hmm that's a tricky one i think let me think about that one for a bit can we do a different one first right. yeah well here's here's a nice here's a nice uh easy one then i guess this is a i guess the three questions that we actually asked each other in the last podcast that we recorded so i want to know if any weightlifter in the world you could train with dead or alive who would it be um who do i really like watching i think what would be incredible would um there's a weightlifting, weightlifting house video um about the greek squad i can't remember when it was but it was like mm. Peros Dimas and the other the other few guys who are all training together for the greek team i think training with those guys would be incredible because they're some of the best pound for pound lifters that ever existed um and i think just being in a room with those guys would be crazy and just i think being able to observe the dynamic and the coaching that they received um, oh, yeah. would be really cool. I think um, I, I want to. I would want to train with Carlos Desar because I want to see what they're putting in his food. I would see. Oh, yeah, that would I be see his birth certificate as well because he's still nineteen, isn't he? Yeah, he's been nineteen for the last five years. <laughs> Have you seen that Iranian guy that says he's 19, but he looks about 35? Yeah. He's got no hair. He's got no hair, but yeah. you can tell that like it's not that he's bold. It's just that he's got no hair. Yeah. Um, and he's got a full on like he is a hairy, hairy individual. He he has he has a lot of tech. They added some testosterone to his chest tube when he was a baby, I reckon. <laughs> to his cornflakes. To his, <laughs> to his cornflakes um all right what is one book that you're reading at the moment um so obviously on topic i'm reading the olympic weightlifting book by um greg everett the catalyst um athletic kind of guide to weightlifting for coaching and athletes um which has been very very useful um so far um on a different non-weightlifting um 
note. I'm reading a book about Don McCullen, who is a photojournalist who I think he was born in the, like the 30s or 40s in London. Um, and he was kind of a, he got sent to, to various different conflicts and events around the world to take photos. Um, and some of the stories that he comes out with are absolutely insane about him getting shot at and with um, him running through fields with his cameras being shot at and like some of the things that he saw with like famines and poverty and um, just the incredible stories that he has. I think it's very worth reading if you're interested in, if you're interested in history, it's very interesting because he has kind of a very different perspective to kind of the academic perspective. Obviously it's not always correct, but the stuff that he see, he saw day to day mm. might not, not, might not necessarily kind of reflect the sentiment at the time. Um, which I think is very interesting because sometimes you hear about these massive conflicts and you forget that there are people like very individual people kind of being affected by all these things like the Vietnam War and just for one example and, and other things like that and it's very easy to think oh it was just one side against another but then there's lots of different small stories that happened in between um, which are very interesting um, yeah it's, it's a it's a good book and there's some good pictures in it as well yeah that's i bet that's proper epic if you actually i'd be interested in that if you could send that over to me because i think uh, i was you know i know i bang on about tim marshall stuff all the time who was a journalist you know like a foreign reporter so he would go to conflict zones during wars uh and and report on what was being said and what was being heard and you know he's had a couple shootouts in the past i know previously he was in the bolt like serving in the balkans so they got um in the Yugoslav wars and it, that, that was crazy to read about to me like having to strap up with a you know a, a bulletproof vest and and literally report the news is is seemed absolutely insane that mm -hmm. he would do that and but he gives such a unique perspective and Yushan actually mentioned this in our last podcast which is queuing my next question before i go back to the question that i just asked you um you know that we tend to forget that the people that are on the ground fighting a lot of times don't necessarily believe in what they're fighting for they're just trying to do a job in what they've been told is right not all the time but most of the times you know, and I've spoken to lots. I have friends who are in the military. Even my dad is in the military. I haven't spoken to, to him. And at the end of the day, like having that perspective, we we haven't lived, we haven't been in those conflict zones. And sometimes the stories are entirely different. Um, so yes, yeah, that's an interesting perspective. My leading question to that is: if you could have a coffee, because I know that you love coffee. Um, if you could have coffee with anyone in the world, historical figure, dead or alive, who would it be? Mm, that was a very good question. Um, see, I'm not a big history guy, so I don't actually know that many people. <laughs> <laughs> Let me. Can we go back to the um, the advice from my past self first? Absolutely, we can. Sorry, I'm messing around, messing with your structure. No, no, you're good. <laughs> Let's go for it. What is yeah. one? Yeah, I think with with the advice that I would give to my past self, I think I've been very prone to kind of thinking too much. 
Um, and I still am. And I think when you start thinking too much, it's very hard to get yourself out of it. And you can think about how am I going to get to this place or what am I going to do when I get here? Like, I'm not going to be ready for this. So, like, for example, academically, like with school, with university, with being a doctor, um, like exams, that kind of thing is obviously the overriding um, theme for me. But I think whenever I've kind of been worried about something coming up, whether it be exams or like applications or things like that, I've always, whether it be through like good fortune or hard work or a, a very much a mix of both, I've always been okay when at the end of the day, when I've got to that, that point. And I think it's just realizing that the big things that happen in your life, they're not, they're not, you don't have to do big things to get there. There are a lot of small steps. Um, and if you just smoke it, focus on those small steps that you need to take in order to get there, then at the end of the day, yeah, it won't work out all the time, but you'll be in a good place to, kind of go for those things when you get there i like that and and what age would you have told yourself at that you know like, <laughs> would you have told yourself that before weightlifting or before you started uni or probably when i was 18 i would say mm. 19 i think starting uni is a big shock for me in some ways just kind of the workload and like obviously being independent properly and that kind of thing and it's, it's a, it was a, an overwhelming time in some ways um i think that would have been good advice for me then it's a difficult time isn't it being 18 when people are telling you that you have to make a choice for the rest of your life when the reality is when you get to even now like you know 30 i'm 30 what's that i'm bad at maths 12 years I could not imagine going back to 18 years and watching a movie of the last 12 years of my life. I would never have anticipated that it would have ended up like this. And I think if I'd have made the decisions that I know that I've made over the last 12 years, I wouldn't have made those when I was 18, mm. which is which is crazy to think. Like I know that that's just the education system and, and how it works. and you know i'm not a lobbyist i'm not going to lobby to change it because i have absolutely no idea about the education system in the uk i just did it i just wrote english and did some maths and you know hey presto i came out with a degree yeah. and it seemed to work pretty well because you know i'm not totally stupid um but it's such an odd time of your life when you're trying to figure out relationships you know you're going through you're raging with hormones um and you're trying to figure out what the hell you want to do with your life career wise but also just what do you enjoy um you know like yeah it's 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 an interesting time um i just wish i don't know i wish i think that's one of the reasons why i wanted to become a coach is like you can kind of help people see what they don't see in themselves mm you know and that's not just in weightlifting i'm talking just in in terms of them as a person you know you're not i'm not saying i'm a life coach but like weightlifting coaching has really taught me that that you have to just get to know the person and what they want and you, ultimately you have their best best interests at heart you know um, which is an amazing thing it's probably the closest that I get to you being a doctor, you know, being a coach. <laughs> yeah, there's a, I think there's a quite a few similarities. It's interesting. Definitely. All right, let's round up with the last question. We'll go back to the coffee one. Mm. 
Actually, yeah. I want to ask you where your favourite coffee is in London. Where in London? Uh, yeah. There's a few. Um, what was that? What was that one we went to when I bumped into you? Proof Rock. Is that the one uh, near? Farrington? I love that. I love that place. Yeah, yeah, that was really good, actually. Yeah. Um, I, but to be honest, I don't really go out for nice coffees that often. Um, like I, I, if I'm going to have a nice coffee, I'll probably make it myself. Um, mm. Just because it's so expensive, you know how it is in London. Um, yeah. But yeah, there's a few nice places around. Um, I think, to be honest, my favorite place is to go back to my mum's, and she makes really good coffee. So uh, that's that's probably my favorite coffee. Up north, yeah, not proper good coffee up north. They do. John, what's your um, favorite coffee place in London? Ooh, mm -hmm. I, I mm -hmm. so I I would agree. Like Proof Rock is is really good. That's actually one of my favorites. My favorite. Mm, I have two. I would say that I would always go to without fail. The first one was called Gaff, which is down in Deptford um it was set up in like a artist you take me to that one yeah I remember um and not only is the coffee great because they do like guest espressos so they like change the coffee every month it's really cool but they had the best sausage rolls mm. ever ever it was like cheese i don't even know what it was because it's not the it's like cheese sweet chili it was just unbelievable. It was an unbelievable combination of coffee. Um, as you can tell, I'm very passionate about coffee and also food. <laughs> um, there is one in St. Paul's that I haven't been to for absolutely years. Um, I'm sure you guys probably would have gone there when you were at Wit the other week. Um, but I can't remember the bloody name of it. Roslyn, that's what it's called. Roslyn coffee yeah that's lovely love yeah. actually m m used to work near there so we would go there for like little coffee dates and she introduced me to that and unbelievable coffee the guys in there are super nice as well if you're interested in great coffee there's a youtube series where they go around like the five best coffee places in london i don't know if they're still the five best but we only went to like three of them and they were fantastic so if it's anything to go by um, I know Yushuan likes the gentleman barista. That is a good one. Uh, my favorite ones are, I don't know if they said, best one, 80 Stone Street. In 100%. Is that still there? I don't know if that's still there. It's, it's still there. They still do the brownies. Yeah, those oh, brownies. brownies. I remember when I used to bring you <laughs> breakfast brownies before training? Okay. <laughs> And the other one I know for sure doesn't exist. What was it called? Londonwick? Ludenwick? Ludenwick. Yeah, that's closed now. That was yeah. just yes. where we used to do the Central London sessions then. Uh, really tiny coffee shop. Yeah, but they were just never busy. And they were closed on weekends, which didn't... I, I get it. Like, they have to make, you know, they if they've not got a lot of staff. But, like, having a coffee shop closed on a weekend in London is just... And also during the week, I swear they closed at like three o'clock or something. Something crazy. like that. Like the work ethic, which is not there. But it wasn't true that it wasn't busy because <laughs> I remember many times during uni when I thought I'd have time to get a coffee there before I go to my lecture and whatever and end up queuing up for like 20, 30 minutes. 
yeah just be late to my class so yeah, it was busy enough so um i don't know why it's it's not there anymore but yeah that would be my top two uh anyway back to the coffee what is one person that you would have coffee with dead or alive doesn't have to be a historical figure just anyone i think my answer is carl sagan does anyone do you know who he is don't think i do but for some reason that name rings a bell yeah he was quite a famous physicist like astrophysicist i think okay. um he did a lot of research on and stuff for the you know the voyager spacecraft that they sent out through the solar system um, and i read a couple like one or two of his books when i was kind of 17 or 18 and kind of changed my perspective a lot on like the universe and um, kind of life as we know, which was really interesting. And he's he's obviously a very clever guy and with a, quite a lot of insight into um, that kind of thing. And I find it really fascinating. Ever since I watched um, Interstellar when I was a kid, I've been quite fascinated with the whole topic. Um, but yeah, he he. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd really love to sit down and ask him a few questions. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Just space in general is scary mm, yeah i was just reading about, a book yeah. go on sorry no, no i was gonna say when you think about it too much it's it's a bit overwhelming sometimes but he there's a quote um by him from one of his books called um it's about the pale blue dot which is a photograph of supposedly of the earth as like a tiny piece of dust in like a sunbeam or something <laughs> that one of the spacecraft took and he was kind of commentating on uh, the picture because the the earth it was so tiny um, and it was just surrounded by space and it was kind of saying how like wars have been fought and lost so many lives lost like religions like different religions coming and going and like um, just everything happening on this tiny tiny little dot in the middle of space and it's like just an interesting perspective on and things and how nothing is permanent and like things that things that we think are so significant in the grand scheme of the whole universe aren't very significant and it's it can be quite depressing when you think about it like that like nothing really matters because it depends obviously depends on your point of view and your beliefs but it can be a bit depressing if you think about it like nothing really matters when i'm when i die everything's like there's just going to be nothing like but I think it's it's good in some ways to think about it like that because it allows you to kind of zoom out. Like we've kind of said a few times, like the stuff that really gets you down, you don't have to care that much about it um, if you can, if you can afford not to um, because there's a lot of other things going on and a lot of other things to consider um, in the world and, and like the universe. So I think that was quite eye-opening for me when I was a lot younger. Yeah, I think I think that's good. I think that's honestly, I I would agree with that perspective because like the reality is that we're only here for a short period of time, um, which is one of the reasons why I love reading about stoicism is because like one of the first pieces of, I guess, writing that I ever read or like kind of phrase was memento mori, which is remember you must die. Um, and to a lot of people that seems super bleak like you know some people are really scared of death 
and I'm sure you know I might change my perspective in the future but I don't know I think it it's also it like if you're constantly reminded of that which they did remind themselves of you realize that actually if you don't have long left you may as well just do what you want to do and enjoy it and also how insignificant we are <laughs> you know it's such a small blue dot in space um yeah, yeah. it uh, can be quite quite liberating actually yeah. uh, and to put yeah to put what you guys have been saying into maybe more sophisticated words is that it's uh it's not that deep <laughs> it's not that deep and also like no, i just kind of want to i've actually i had this thought for a bit and i i missed i fucked up the timings and missed the chance to slide it in but this is a good moment because like right at the start you know when you were talking about how ben you were talking about how you you know you feel like you don't have a choice um in terms of training like even if you're not feeling it or you're having a bad day like you don't feel like you have a choice you have to go train and god i think you agreed with that as well and actually for me um just personally and this is a dialogue that i have with myself at times quite often is that like i always tell myself the opposite is that i do have a choice like if mm. i wake up and it's pissing it down and it like i don't want to get out of bed i don't want to train a bit achy you know not motivated i'm like well i have a choice like i don't have to like yeah. i can stay in bed and i can just i could quit um i could do something else um we're all gonna die like i don't have to do this there's other things i can do and then actually having gone through that thought process and that dialogue with myself it's like okay well what do you want to do mm, yeah well, it's probably get up and do it isn't it Most it's always always get up and do it it's like a bit of reverse psychology isn't it's it it's a bit of persuading but it always ends up being like get up and do it but it's true like with the the whole thing like we're all gonna die yeah it might it's a bit depressing but also on the flip side like you were saying connor and you as well like we're gonna die but we have a choice of how we're gonna make the most of the time that we have and that's the perspective that i kind of take away from it not that oh i'm gonna die and it's all worthless it's like well one day i'm gonna die but what am i gonna do before then like what what difference am i gonna make and how am i gonna kind of fulfill what i like i need to fulfill 100 we're all gonna die 100%. so might as well live exactly <laughs> exactly um ben that was fantastic thank you so much for giving up uh more time than we should have taken from you we appreciate it uh guys if you took value in this podcast which we both did i think we've been wanting to sit down with with ben for you know quite a while and we do have other guests coming on in the future who i'm sure will share similarities with what ben has echoed but if you did like this please like comment share subscribe all that jazz uh and like i said i will pop ben's details down in the description if you are interested in coaching or if you're interested in photography get in touch um because he will be joining us soon ben thank you so much sir for coming on it was an absolute pleasure having you on thank you for um, coming really appreciate it and we will catch you on the next episode of Into the Unknown. Peace.